episode 110 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 1st of February 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. February 2021, where did all the time go? (laughs) We've got quite a lot of news to get into, an awful lot seems to have happened over the last couple of weeks. Let's start with Raspberry Pi Silicon, the Pi Pico, which I believe is the microcontroller that you predicted, Graham. <laughs> I demand Graham hand over all his electronic devices for auditing to see that the, <laughs> the clear cheating that was going on with communications with the Raspberry Pi Foundation. No, I, I knew nothing. And I, if tell that to the tribunal, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know anything. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't have predicted it had the Raspberry Pi Foundation ever told me that this is something they were planning, um, because that would be silly. Um, but yeah, it. This is actually exactly what I was um, envisaging. It's Although I didn't expect them to create their own silicon, which is the important part of this, right at the beginning of it. And the actual central part of this Pico is being developed in-house by the Raspberry Pi Foundation engineers. The microcontroller, the RP2040. And yes, it slots basically into the, to the Arduino kind of domain, um, a microcontroller rather than a fully-fledged computer, although it's considerably more powerful than, say, an Arduino Uno, although it does take more power. I haven't, I've, so probably just like Will, I've bought, I've bought three and they're just sitting here on my desk now. I've not actually <laughs> soldered them up or plugged them in. They don't come prepared for, you know, to put onto a headerboard or anything like that. Um, but I am really excited about booting them up and giving them a go. When you say it's more powerful, it really is massively more powerful. Dual core, 133 megahertz ARM processors, 264K of RAM. Um, for example, the app megas that are on the Arduinos, I think I've got 8K of RAM. So yeah, significant um, improvement and onboard USB controller as well, which is extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I like the fact there's more I.O. There's there's many more pins on there that you can access, which is good, because I always I did genuinely hit the limit on Arduino. with I built my own sequencer, and so I'm really hoping to actually swap out the Uno that's at the centre of that and, and stick in the Pico, and uh, I'm expecting better performance. Apparently, even audio works quite well on the uh, Uno. There's a PWM audio library for creating sounds with it. Um, and because it's you know got so much more processing power and dual core, so you can have one core responding to inputs and sending things to the outputs, while the other core is making really nice sine waves or saw waves. <laughs> and so this is four dollars. So as you said, it's in the megahertz range. This is a microcontroller. This is designed to work with other machines, like it's an add-on for a Pi, essentially. Well, you, you'd also, you could use it. Now, so there's no network connectivity on this version. Um, I think I read that the Arduino are using Raspberry Pi Silicon for a future device and have said they'll integrate, uh, wireless connectivity. But you, you also use controllers like this for monitoring sensors and doing something with the data that comes from the sensors or, or, or turning the lights on when there's a motion sensor, for example, or controlling temperature gauges, the kind of stuff we were talking about in the Home Assistant. Uh, bit that we did a, a couple of weeks ago. What I like about the design of the board is these castellated edges they've got. So if you were to design your own like PCB carrier, you could just put some solder pads in the right place, drop the Pico on top of it, and just touch it with a soldering iron and integrate it directly into your own projects, uh, which is really cool because you don't have to 
fiddle about putting headers on it and um, you know pushing it down you can just drop it in solder it straight in place i really like that i wonder what that was for willscomputerparts.com yeah, so it looks like a good package. Um, and the Raspberry Pi Foundation have got all kinds of excellent support material that goes along with this. And I, I'm really excited by it. I feel like... I, now, Will brought up reservations when we talked about this before about Arduino and it could kind of eat into their platform. And I agree. And that's a bit of a shame. Um, but I'm also excited for like schools in the UK that may jump on this in the same way they've jumped on the Raspberry Pi and start teaching kind of microcontroller computer science as well as the kind of the Python stuff. And incidentally, it's really easy to get stuff running on this. You can kind of, it comes up as an SD card, um, as a storage uh, card when you plug it into a computer and you can basically drop MicroPython in there and and run stuff in real time without doing anything else, without any of the Arduino ID or anything else. How does that compete with the microbit then? I must admit, I've not looked at the microbit too closely, and um, my children have used them at school, and they're really great for instant kind of teaching. Um, and you know, you're coding through a browser and getting that stuff out. I I haven't considered actually using them as a an embedded controller in a project. Yeah, I think the microbit is a. All in one solution with, uh, you know, it's got an array of LEDs on there. It's got a tilt sensor on there. I think it's more of a educational tool, whereas this is a little bit more of an integrated uh, component almost. And my original reservations about how this would affect Arduino and SparkFun and all of those guys, I've been completely put to rest because you can see that SparkFun, Arduino, and so on have already started producing or at least designing boards that pretty much swap out the app megas for the new Raspberry Pi silicon. So their uh, product line can continue with a more powerful silicon just by changing the chip effectively um, and, you know, a certain amount of redesign of the board. But their product line still exists. They still have their business model. and They can still sell the, the things that they've been selling for all these years. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that as well. So something that caused a massive furore over the weekend was that Element was suspended on the Google Play Store. It's now been resolved. This is the official Matrix client, and there were all sorts of conspiracy theories. It turns out there was some abusive content on the Matrix.org server, which they dealt with very swiftly, but it was obviously reported, and Google just pulled it from the Play Store. And it's funny that a Google VP actually personally called them to sort it all out. But um, this, I think, is a bit of a storm in a teacup. But Faylin, I know you're <laughs> up in arms about this. Well, to be honest, if you're on the Google Play Store in the first place, you've already lost. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, it does It does kind of smell a bit of, they were awful quick at fucking killing off the distributed platform that would see the end of them if it was to ever gain massive popularity. Tinfoil hat nonsense. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, though, is it? Is it really, though? Yes, it is. They are shit scared. In the wake of the Capitol riot shit, they are shit scared of, of anything that could be possibly seen to be anything like that. And that's what this is about, as far as I'm concerned. This is not them trying to crush the competition. They don't give a fuck about federated bollocks. They know that no one's using that, or a tiny minority of people are. And, oh, it's growing, and people are moving to Signal and Matrix. Yeah, dream the fuck on. This is them shit scared about what they call abusive content, things that they just cannot have in the wake of what happened early this year in Washington. 
That's funny because I went to this website called google.com and I typed into this bar that said search and a whole stream of shite came out. So I guess they'll be banning that next too then. Well, yeah, obviously this was a mistake and that's why they've put it right. It fucking reeks. (laughs) It reeks of overreaction and incompetence, not some grand fucking conspiracy. But I do think that it's another example of our lives being run by faceless corporations where there's absolutely no direct human interaction. I mean, this, this is a, this is a high profile story. I mean, it was at the top of Hacker News. So they got the attention that it deserved. But for the vast majority of apps, you know, there's no recourse when your app is dropped. There's nothing you can do. You have to use your contacts and your friends and social media to try and get through to people. So quite a separate to this actual specific case. I think that's just still such a worrying trend that's only getting worse. Yeah, I mean, I think Matrix are quite lucky in the fact that because of their profile they had, they were able to get this resolved and get a VP to call them back. But I mean, that could be the end of your company at that point if you're a smaller player. Absolutely. And I totally agree with all that. I just, I'm not having this conspiracy theory that it was like a plot to stifle the competition. It's a situation that is not good that Google has the power to pull your app down and you're totally fucked as a result of it. That can be true along with the fact that they pulled it for reasons other than trying to stifle competition. I tend to agree with Joe here, but also with Graham. The I imagine that it got pulled by a robot and not by a human being. And that in itself is scary, but it is not necessarily because uh, a reaction to the app itself. It is just uh, an algorithm running that noticed a few people had clicked the button to report something and just pulled it automatically. And I think that's worrying in and of itself. I genuinely don't think that they were trying to kill matrix that way but the thing is just the point to note is the fact that matrix itself was fine afterwards so do yourselves all a favor and install f droid and install the matrix client from f droid because then it wouldn't have been an effect which is a couple of versions old at this point well that is just down to maybe getting a bit more funds in the system because they're it's volunteers that are doing that work so i mean if that system thrives i think that system works better and, you know, you wouldn't face that issue if you were using the F-Droid version, but, you know. Yeah, well, they're looking to set up their own F-Droid repo now, which hopefully will resolve that issue and that we can have it be the latest version. So, yeah, it's all about F-Droid because it's much harder to pull stuff down from an F-Droid repo than the Play Store. It's going to involve, I would imagine, court orders and legal entities rather than just google deciding or one of their bots deciding to delist it yeah i mean there have been applications in the past that were taken out by f droid i mean i've seen people go oh f droid can't be the purveyors of freedom blah 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 because they took out this app but i mean to a certain extent some of these things do need to be got rid of and that's just the way it is yeah but you're probably going to have a bit more oversight there or at least you'd hope yeah and you'll know who did it because It'll be owned in a changelog or whatever. We talked about porting Linux to the Apple M1 devices before, and that was in the context of what has now become Ashai Linux, I think that's how you say it. That is Hector Martin's project that he's crowdfunding. But it turns out there's another effort that is going very well by the looks of things, and that is by Corillium, who have got a bit of history putting Linux on old iPhones, and they 
did that, I think, as a publicity stunt mostly to drive people to their virtualization platform. And now they just quickly, seemingly in an afternoon, put Ubuntu onto the uh, M1 Max. And there was a bit of beef on Twitter between Corellium and the Ashi Linux project. And that was based around the upstreaming of things and being shit scared of Apple suing them and stuff. And uh, it was just a bit of a public spat. But here we are. We've now got two very serious efforts to get Linux going on these machines. Yeah, and uh, Corellium tell you to curl something straight into Bash. So yeah, it's immediate gold standard there. Well, you have bought a Mac. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the latest report, well, the latest report, that I've read says that they've got like the USB controller working, they've got Wi-Fi working, they've got Ethernet working, they've got the PCIe bus working, some other low-level buses. It's looking very promising. The uh, fly in the ointment here is, as far as I know, that the GPU isn't really working properly yet, and so it's all done through LLVM. But the speed at which this is moving forwards, it feels like it's only a matter of time until until it works with accelerated GPU. Uh, I I still hope in my heart that Apple will see all this work and the interest that's happening and say, you know what, we'll help you out and go for it. Um, and it feels like to a certain extent they've done that by allowing these custom kernels to be bootable. But, you know, a leg up with a GPU would be appreciated. Presumably they could just take that away, though. Yes, they could. <laughs> so this could all be just totally wasted effort. But I don't think they're going to do that. Why? Because why do they care? If people mm. buy their Mac and void the warranty or whatever... But it's not magical if you stick Linux on it. Big honking great fucking XFCE desktop on their pretty, pretty box. Yeah, but they don't care. They've made the sale at that point. Oh, I think you'll find they care. This is the company that thinks some fucking distance of a font from one letter to the next is a huge deal. They clearly care what OS you're running on their Mac. Well... They've always allowed booting of other operating systems, and the support for that has been patchy. Like It was pretty good, well, very good support for a while for Windows, and you could always boot Linux on these machines, and they never stopped that. So I don't think they really care. I think they just sort of have this attitude of, well, it's such a minority thing, like a few hundred people might want to do this, but you know, good luck to them. But Corellium have even managed to make the NVMe drive boot so you don't even need to piss around with external disks and stuff. It is just that graphics uh, problem, which it doesn't feel completely insurmountable. I saw some progress with open source drivers for it, just really basic stuff, drawing triangles and stuff, but it's slowly getting there by the looks of things. I know it's very early, but it'd be very interesting to see what the kind of performance comparison is with uh, like native Linux running on that M1 hardware um, compared to the published performance gains that you get on macOS. Whether those ARM gains from this Apple Silicon are still there on Linux, that'd be very interesting. Yeah, I'm tempted to get one, but I'm not spending 650 quid. Mm, I am too, I must admit. It's quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's for the Mac Mini. I saw it, um, I think, yeah, on Amazon it was 650 quid down uh, from whatever it's supposed to be. But if you're going to do it, then you may as well get the laptop. And if you're going to do that, you may as well get the Pro. But then it's got the touch bar. Oof. And then you may as well get the 16 gigs of RAM. And then it's just ridiculous money. So 
No, I'm not not going to do it, I don't think. Yeah, that's how they hook you in. You'll be getting an iPhone next. <laughs> and then you start looking at your kitchen appliances and how disgusting they look in there. <laughs> yeah. White plastic, you want everything chrome. Yeah. And you'll be on Instagram and God. <laughs> Orange sunglasses in the post. <laughs> in Dubai. <laughs> no, I'll be off to Barbados. Oh yeah, that's the new place, isn't it? Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, Linode offers simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and more easily. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. Let us know about the projects you've been using Linode for, and we might mention them on the show. I recently moved our website over to Linode, and I'm really happy with it. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux and click on the create free account button to get started. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It really is appreciated, especially as we've now gone weekly. If you want to find out more details about that, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember for $5 a month or more on Patreon, you can get an advert free RSS feed. So check that out. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And there's also details for the Telegram group there, which we don't mention hardly ever. Check out Late Night Linux Extra 14, which was released yesterday as we record this, a couple of days ago as you hear it probably. It was with Popey, or should I say Alan Pope of Canonical, talking about snaps. It was him in an official role. And um, I asked him some relatively difficult questions, apparently not difficult enough, as we may cover next time when we talk about the feedback. But uh, yeah, it's well worth checking out. I'll put a link in the show notes. And thank you everyone who came to the last community mumble get-together. We'll be doing another one on the 12th of February, the same time, 10 p.m. on a Friday night. Uh, there's details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. The last one some of that will end up on Late Night Linux Extra 15, which will be coming in just under a couple of weeks. But we ended up talking for like two or three hours this time around, just getting real inside baseball stuff. So it's well worth coming to. Uh, so yeah, 12th of February. All right, let's talk about Mozilla and a mixed bag of news over the last couple of weeks from them. The first one is Open Web Docs. Now, we were a bit worried last year when Mozilla laid off a bunch of people and it looked like the MDN project was going to be a victim of that. MDN being the sort of repository of documentation for web standards. Yeah, I think it's good that this has been taken up by a bunch of companies where it's not been left to Mozilla to sort of champion a decent standard documentation of the, all the subject matter that they've got many involved and they've got a way to fund it as well as part of the whole setup of it. So I, it does look like it's got a bit of a future ahead of it, hopefully. I'm a little bit concerned because... You look at the description of the Open Web Docs uh, project, and it, it's quite hard to get to the bottom of exactly what it is that they're doing and what it is that they're offering. When you click through there, the first thing you're presented with is 
sort of funding page. And the two biggest funders of this entire project are, wouldn't you believe it, Google and Microsoft with their Edge project, <laughs> which... Uh, uh, <laughs> Obviously, they need to be involved in this because they are big browsers. But uh, I don't know. It just makes me wonder who's in control of this project. But I don't think that's any different from the standards themselves because like those standard bodies are not made up by independent researchers. They're made up by the companies who make the browsers. So it's all yeah. kind of self-perpetuating. I mean, I think if you've got a problem with that, it's kind of just the way it's gone. I mean, I don't know how we would ever change that, but at least... They are now contributing properly to the central repository, which is a good thing, I guess. Yeah, but it is a shame that it's, I mean, Mozilla was the right foundation to have custodianship of this. I thought, I always thought that was a good thing, although I never liked, I could never figure out what MDN was. I always, always thought it was MSDN and I would always get very confused. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get your DVDs in the post? <laughs> <laughs> so I prefer the name, um, but it's, I think it's another wasted opportunity for Mozilla to, to have good, proper, clear oversight over an important re repository of information. Well, we also had news of Firefox 85, which has been released but hasn't made it into Ubuntu yet, so I haven't got it. But it's good and bad news. The good news is that it's cracking down on something called super cookies, which is a way of using various nefarious means to fingerprint you, like your image cache and stuff. So they're really tightening up the privacy stuff there. That's the good news. The bad news is that they have killed any efforts that they had for progressive web app support. At least some people are saying that's bad news. I mean, I never really got this PWA thing. It's like either you want a native application or just open it in a tab in your browser. Why do you want to have something that is pretending to be an application, but it's really just a browser with no controls? That's exactly what I thought. I, I, I never liked them because I thought it was trying to hide the fact there's a web page and keep that away from you almost. But then there's a little bit more to progressive web apps in that they can integrate with your system better than a browser can, or at least that's the idea with notifications and stuff. I think it's a dead a dead horse, but yeah, maybe I'm just not the use case for it. I don't know. But it feels like that's how people want to use computers and computing devices these days. They always want an app for it. And... Going to a website seems like an antiquated idea to most normal people. Yeah, but maybe it's the one that should prevail because we should probably try and get people away from the fact of app stores because, you know, that is a walled garden. And maybe this is where Mozilla took the sort of higher ground on this one where they went, we can't do this properly, so let's try and push the web more. I don't know. Maybe that is just far too much credit for them. I don't know. But is it more important to push the web or web standards? Well, as long as it's open and as long as everybody has a fair sort of seat at the table, yeah, I think that's fine. Well, it's all pretty much irrelevant anyway because they are killing that idea. So, oh well. Well, let's just never fucking feel sorry for the fuckers who keep making super cookies because that is just some nasty stuff. And uh, I, yeah, I think splitting those into separate caches per site it's a really smart idea. I mean, it's terrible in the fact that it's going to be, you know, multiple levels of internet traffic for the same pieces of info, but it's just the, the amount of effort these people go to to try and track you. It's disgusting. Yeah. But I cache to RAM anyway, and I've got loads of RAM now, so I'm not really worried about it. Take that, developing economies. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that we meant to cover last time but forgot to was that Google are pulling out of Chromium sync features and API access, essentially. 
And now the Fedora Chromium maintainer is wondering whether it's even worth bothering to maintain it anymore when people should just be using Firefox or full-fat Chrome. Well, I mean, I think he has a point because if you look at what the Google Chromium project seems to say, they've removed the Google APIs, but they also block the internal request to Google at runtime as a fail-safe measure, which says to me that the code has so many backdoors trying to access Google info that they can't even find them all properly and therefore have to like firewall the thing off. Stop using Chromium. <laughs> it feels like a good compromise, Chromium, to me. If there's certain websites that don't work in Firefox and need Chrome, then Chromium feels, at least it's more open than Chrome is. Use Falcon. It's the, uh, the Blink Engine and uh, KD stuff on top. Sorted. I'm sure that's definitely going to work for with websites that need Chrome, yeah. I think so. <laughs> well, I'll give it a go. But this is really about Edge, isn't it? This, that's what this whole thing is about, because Google gave API access to Chromium, but now they realized, hmm, yeah, we don't want the likes of Microsoft being able to have people sync their bookmarks with their Google account and everything. We want them to use Chrome, not Edge, and and other browsers like that. They're dressing it up as closing a loophole and, oh, they shouldn't have been doing this in the first place. But this time I'm on the side of the conspiracy theorists. I think it is them just not wanting people to move away from Chrome. I really hope that the super cookie blocking and the changes that Google are making to Chromium are enough to reinvigorate the community around Firefox. It's enough to make me download it and install it and give it another go. Um, and I hope that, that more people do that. Stranger things have happened, eh? A quick one for you then, Graham, and that is the VR painting app that Google were working on is getting shit-canned, but they're open-sourcing it, or at least most of it, that they can. Yeah, thanks for putting this in the list, um, Joe. Um, it was a, It's an app called Tilt Brush um, that's available for like all VR platforms, although there isn't a native Linux build. And Tilt Brush really is brilliant. It's really educational. Um, it's very relaxing. I think there's all kinds of people who will benefit from it. It's basically um, like deluxe paint in 3D. And it's already been forked into Open Brush, and apparently there are already Linux builds for Open Brush, which is the fork of Tilt Brush um, that you'll be able to try on Steam VR running on Linux. So it's already so there's already fruit from this. And the app I've got the app, and it hadn't really developed very much in the last couple of years. It started off as one of Google's very experimental projects, and then they sold it to try and show that there was some kind of viability in VR, which it didn't really. Um, so it was always it always felt experimental, and it doesn't really need any more. Features features you can it's really effective at what it does yeah my wife tried this out a couple of years ago and said it was amazing yeah it is i mean if you just imagine you kind of hold your hand in front of you with a stylus you kind of press a trigger button and then whereas you you know you're used to drawing in 2d obviously you then can kind of draw backwards and forwards and add depth you know draw start off by drawing a cube but then start with other things this smells an awful lot like people who found chess far too easy you can now have 3d chess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I've done a matchstick pan in 3D, except none of the bits join up because I didn't get the depth right. Well, it's more like modelling, you know, it's more like 3D modelling, but with a, a just like a stylus in 3D. I mean, you, you, it's a whole room space if you want it to be, so you can go around and trace all your furniture if you want. Or It sounds awesome, but it sounds better to look at somebody who knows what they're doing with this type of thing. Yeah, definitely. It sounds to me like more of an AR thing, if possible, rather than VR. Like, it feels like it could be good for... For example, you've got a room and you've got this AR headset on and you can look around your room and you can draw in 
what furniture you want and move it around and stuff. It feels like it could be integrated into other existing projects, maybe. Yeah, you can export the models that you draw and and use them with other apps. Um, that's a good thing. You can also collaborate. There's also a game mode where you can play, I don't know, charades or something like that. But yeah, you're right. It would work well with AI. I, mean, I suppose this is the opportunity for that to be added. Right, a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. The first one is Jing OS. Jing OS, I don't know how you say that, which has been teased for about a month, and it's supposedly uh, an iPad-like interface for tablets and potentially phones, and it's Linux-based. Now, the reason that it's in KDE Corner is it turns out that it's using a lot of Qt and Plasma technology, and I tried out this first alpha build, and I only tried it briefly, it's Chinese, and so there's quite a lot that you can't make head and a tail of because it's you know not in English. And I remember seeing it originally and being skeptical because it was like all flashy and iPad looking. And when I tried it out, I was like, "All oh, right, yeah, it's just KDE. It's not flashy at all." What do you mean it's just KDE? Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> but they say they're going to release the source code and stuff. It doesn't look, or when I last looked, there wasn't any sign of that yet. So it's very, very early days for it. And there's talk of a crowdfunding tablet as well that's going to be ARM-based. So I think it's one to watch, but not necessarily one to get too excited about just yet. So what's this that you put in here then? Kate Hud. Yeah, so this is something that is come to Kate first, but uh, may go to others after. Um, and it's essentially like the Alt F2 uh k runner application but within an application so you've got you can bring up menu items and things like that within the application itself which i think is quite smart and um it could lead to a mouseless future for people with horrific rsi or wanting to get stuff done really quickly where they can just whiz about with the usual text commands that they'd be used to didn't you have this in unity back when you were working on that well yeah, I thought it was a great feature. It was the the thing that changed GIMP from being this just massively complicated hidden menu thing into something that was really usable. So anything that adds that back in, I'm all in favour of. I think they missed a trick not calling it Kate Hudson, though. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, that's good. <laughs> all right, what's this uh, Plasma Browser Integration 1.8 with Edge? Yeah, so, I mean, you've obviously got Chrome, Firefox started off, and now you've got Edge, and it's actually in the store. So uh, the ability to check stuff that's in browser tab history and things like that is now coming. And uh, no, it's quite good. Uh, it's good that they're supporting all the browsers that are available and uh, allows you to get like media playback in the media player and things like that. So uh, we shall welcome them along. Yeah, Microsoft Edge is good, fail him. I'll quote you on that one. <laughs> this seems like a misquote. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, consistency nitpicks. So uh, one of the KDE devs, Nico, is trying to start a for the month of February to get people to blog about inconsistencies that they find um, and use the hashtag KDE consistency and try and get things cleaned up. So a bit like a paper cuts type um, story. And they don't want just developers. They want people who use it as well to get involved and to uh, try and improve everything uh, in those types of ways. Unfortunately, he spelt consistency incorrectly with a C. <laughs> he did. It was really a missed trick. It's not as good as Kate Hudson, though. <laughs> right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts of things. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. See you later.